This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, which is closer to Georgia than it is to the nearest beach. That might explain a lot of what goes on here. Just in time for Veterans Day, Visit Florida launches a new military-friendly website to assist service members, veterans, and their families figure out where to go in Florida. A key vote today in a Senate committee on a controversial bill requiring minors to not only notify their parents before they get an abortion, they would have to get their consent. A former Senate president is involved in a fatal crash in central Florida that kills a pedestrian. Should America ditch the electoral college system and start using the popular vote to pick presidents? Our studio guest will try to convince you that's the way to go, and he'll be making that same pitch to the legislature today. We'll also check out your daily calendar of events and an update on three Florida men, including a bongo burglar in the buff. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, November 12th. In honor of Veterans Day, Governor Ron DeSantis announces the launch of a new military-friendly travel section on Visit Florida's website. It's being described as a consolidated source of Florida travel information for service members, veterans, and their families. It includes information about discounts that are available to military members and their families, also monuments, memorials, military-related events, and museums. Florida is home to 1.5 million veterans, 21 military bases, and almost 100,000 active duty and reserve troops. The defense industry is also one of the top economic drivers in the Sunshine State. Former Senate President Mike Herodopoulos of Indian Harbor Beach has been involved in a fatal traffic crash on State Road 404 during rush hour traffic. Troopers say a man was standing in the divided highway and was hit after he ran toward two cars that were trying to avoid him. One of those vehicles was a Land Rover driven by Herodopoulos. He and the other driver were not injured, but their vehicles have been taken off for a forensic search. An autopsy will be conducted on the pedestrian along with a toxicology report to figure out if he was using drugs or alcohol. A spokesman for the FHP says neither driver was at fault in the Fatality. The Senate Health Policy Committee meets today to vote on a bill by Senator Kelly Stargell of Lakeland requiring parental consent before minors can obtain an abortion. The bill failed earlier this year when they ran out of time during the spring session, but Senate President Bill Galvano of Bradenton says there will be plenty of time in the session of 2020. The bill has been filed and it's been referred, it's, it's been referred to the same committees as, as last year. The first committee of reference is uh, health policy chaired by Chairman Harrell. And my expectation is that you'll probably see that bill heard earlier this ses session than it was last session, which will give it an opportunity to move, move through the process. As I've, I've said, I've, I've given the uh, senators a lot of discretion and will continue to empower them. And, you know, the, the bill has its, its references and we'll, we'll go through the process as the, the senators see fit. Lawmakers have also filed more restrictive bills that would make it almost impossible for women to obtain an abortion in Florida. Galvano says he supports the parental consent bill, but he doesn't think the more radical restrictions have much chance of passage. You know, my, first of all, again, I, I want the senators to, and I, I try not to call balls and strikes before they even get, get into the process and, and working on these these issues. I think it's, uh, you know, all of those, those issues will have to be vetted through with the, with the uh, senators and the sponsors, and I've not just sat down and, and read through, through them all. The uh, parental consent I have, have said yes, that's something that, that I have an interest in and have, have looked at. Uh, I, I don't, don't see the others uh, getting much traction in, in the Senate. 
Supporters of abortion rights are rallying before the Senate committee takes up that parental consent bill. Representative Anna Eskimani of Orlando says the law is a danger to young women who are being used as pawns in the abortion wars. The reality is that this law, which we debated last session as well, has been shown uh, to put the most at-risk youth in greater danger. But the truth is, if this bill becomes law, Access to safe legal abortion for every Floridian is at risk in the state of Florida. The pro-choice rally starts at 9.30 on the Capitol steps. The Senate hearing begins an hour later. Next up on Sunrise, a conversation with law professor Vic Amar, who is in Tallahassee today to talk with lawmakers about a fundamental change in the way we elect a president. But first, it's time to pay some bills. A lot of people give their opinions on politics and not just the talking heads on cable news. Everyone has an opinion. Sometimes a gentleman's wager can be the best way to tell how much someone believes their own spin. That's why you should check out what Predictit is doing. Predictit is like the stock market, but for politics. Instead of buying and selling oil futures, you can buy and sell shares in everything from who the Democratic nominee will be to if the president will be impeached. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Next up on Sunrise, a conversation about the popular vote and the electoral vote. And how do we pick a president here in the United States? Our guest is Vikumar. He's with the, well, he's a professor of law up at the University of Illinois, and he's on a campaign to talk about popular vote. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So what brings you to Tallahassee today other than the popular vote? Uh, that's what brings me. I was invited to uh, give some information and some analysis and, and maybe uh, debunk some myths uh, for members of the Florida legislature who I understand um, are considering uh, proposals to be uh, a signatory state in the so-called National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, which is kind of a grassroots state-level effort to uh, alter the way we pick a president uh, of the United States. It doesn't get rid of the Electoral College, but what it does is it uh, ha the signatory states all agree to give their contingent of electors in the so-called electoral college, not to the candidate who wins the most votes in that particular state, but instead to the candidate who wins the most votes nationwide, provided enough other states have indicated a willingness to do so uh, that there are at least 270 electors committed under this approach. Sounds a bit convoluted. Was, was there no simple way to just say, let's do this as a popular vote? Well, it, in some ways, it sounds convoluted, but it's not that complicated. The, the, the simplest in way uh, to uh, move to a national popular vote would be to amend the Constitution, but that's not simple in, in the right. political sense. Yeah. Uh, it may be simple in the conceptual sense. Uh, but what this initiative or this uh, proposal does is it takes advantage or it builds on, I should say, the explicit decision by the Constitution to give to each state the decision about how to uh, allocate its electors. So it, for the past 100 years, states have generally given their electors to a candidate who wins the popular vote in that state. Now, before that, state legislators picked the electors themselves. And could do anything they wanted. And, could do it, and indeed, they still could go back to doing that. If a state wanted to, Florida said, we no longer want to have a state election and we want to let the legislature pick our electors on whatever basis they want, it could do that. The Constitution in Article 2 gives every state the power to do whatever it wants. Which they did threaten to do in the 2000 campaign. They did threaten campaign. to do in the 2000. Now, right. Congress has given the power to prescribe the 
timeline for states to lock into a way of picking electors. So I'm not sure that those threats in 2000 were good ones because they might have bumped up against a congressional requirement that you have the process for picking electors in place before rather than after the first uh, uh, Tuesday in, in November. Uh, so, but but. Putting that aside, every state can pick its electors however it wants, and and every state um, uh, for the past hundred years has chosen, with a few exceptions, to give its electors to the person who wins the most votes um, in that state. And they and, and states have chosen to do so on a winner take all basis, because if a state says to the candidates, if you come to our state and you win 51% of the vote, you'll get 51% of the electors or one more elector than, your lo- than the loser, that's not a big incentive for people to come and campaign in your state. But right. if you say, instead, candidates, if you come to the state and you win over the median voter and you get 51% of the vote, you'll get the whole bounty of our electors. That's an incentive for people to come to the state. So that's why states have done it this way. They 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 tend to, to uh, give it on a winner-take-all basis. There are a few uh, historical uh, exceptions to that. Um, and they tend to focus on who wins in that particular state. Now, what this proposal does is it, it says to states, if you agree in principle that a better way to select a president would be to look at who is winning the most votes nationally. And that's a better reason, a better approach for two reasons. First, every vote in the country is weighted equally that way. And second, the campaign isn't narrowed to a handful of swing states and doesn't ignore states like Texas and Alabama and Mississippi and New York and California and Illinois. Where there is a, a presumed winner because of party, partisan politics. Right. In, in, in states like Texas, we may not know exactly what the margin of victory will be for the Republican, but we know the Republican will get more votes than the Democrat. So, in, so candidates have no rational incentive to, to go to Texas and spend time and make promises that, that matter to Texas voters, et cetera. So the, the, we don't really have a national campaign. We have a campaign that is limited to a handful of swing states. And that's a problem, as well as the fact that votes around the country aren't, aren't treated equally, as evidenced by the fact that the popular vote winner and the electoral college winner can and sometimes do diverge. So if you think those are two problems in principle, this is a way for states to fix those, those, that, that problem um, without having to amend the Constitution, which is incredibly cumbersome and has only been done, you know, a dozen or 15 times in the nation's history. Now, what are some of the myths about the Electoral College that have kept this from happening? So one big myth is that national popular vote helps Democrats and the current system helps Republicans. And that's just not true at all. In 2000, it's my recollection that there were as many political scientists who were predicting that George Bush was going to win the popular vote and lose the Electoral College as the other way around, which is what happened. Um, in 2004, four years later, George Bush beat John Kerry pretty soundly nationwide, three million or so votes. But the Electoral College vote was very close. And if the weather had been better in the state of Ohio, Kerry easily could have picked up the extra 100,000 votes he would have needed to win that state. And if he had won that state, he wouldn't have won the Electoral College. And I so wish that he had, not that I had anything against W, uh, but it would have been good to illustrate that the Electoral College is a snake that can bite either party. And it's not uh, its not something that favors the Republicans per se. So that's a big myth that uh, I think uh, we got to debunk if you want to if you want to get this uh, now. National Popular Vote Compact um, uh, into being. And one thing I'd say about that is if people in principle 
agree that a better way to pick a president is by a national popular vote. And they worry that moving to a national popular vote right now will help the candidate that they dislike or hurt the party that they like. All right. Here's my recommendation. Let's agree in principle to do it. Let's get enough states that make up 270 or a majority of the Electoral College, 270 votes. Let's agree to do it, and we won't implement it until, say, 2032. And there's no way to know what the implications would be 12 years hence from now. Let's move ourselves out of this hyper-partisan moment today into a different and better place, 2032, and let's agree on what the principles should be. And then that also gives us time to, uh, to iron out some of the wrinkles uh, logistically in how to get this thing up, up and running. I understand the theory, but in our current divided system where people can't even agree on the facts, let alone the issues... Is it even possible to talk about a major reform this big? Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. So I have an older brother who's a law professor at Yale, and I was a law professor at the University of California at the time. And in 2001, we wrote this idea up of a national uh, interstate agreement of sorts for states to pick their uh, electors based on who won the national popular vote. And a, another uh, law professor, Robert Bennett, who was the former dean of the Northwestern Law School, had been uh, saying some similar things in other writings around the same time. And when my brother and I wrote this up, we had no expectation that anyone would ever take it and run with it. But then five, six years later, a mathematician at Stanford, a guy named John Koza, he liked the idea and he raised some money and he started going to state legislatures and shopping it around. And you now have 16 jurisdictions, 16 states or maybe 15 states plus D.C. It changes every few months, so I'm not even sure what the, the current status is, that total almost 200 electors. So there are 200 electors toward the 270 that they need. So so will they get there? I would expect they'd get there in my lifetime. Will they get there in the next couple of years? Probably not. But there's no better time than when we're entering a presidential election to think about how we should do presidential elections. No one's talking about adopting the NPV to put into effect in 2020. And I'm not even, I don't even think it's realistic to think it could be in effect in 2024. But, it, but every four years when we pick a president is when we should be thinking about not just who we want as president, but how we should select a president, what the process should be. You've been listening to Dr. Vikamar on Sunrise. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. On the agenda today, the Senate Agriculture Committee will receive updates on hemp issues, including a hemp seed certification process. That's at 1030 in the Senate Office Building. The Senate Commerce and Tourism Committee meets at 1030 to take up a series of bills, including a proposal for a 10-day back-to-school sales tax holiday next year. Shoppers would not have to pay sales tax on clothing items costing 60 bucks or less, school supplies $15 or less, and personal computers and computing accessories costing $1,000 or less. The Senate Criminal Justice Committee will take up a bill by Senator Joe Gruders today, allowing law enforcement agencies to use aerial drones under certain circumstances. That's happening at 1030 in the Senate Office Building. Senator Victor Torres of Orlando and Representative Joe Geller of Aventura will hold a Learn at Lunch event with the National Popular Vote Florida at noon. That's in the Senate Office Building. The Senate Banking and Insurance Committee will consider a bill by Senator Linda Stewart of Orlando that would prevent auto glass shops from offering cash, gift cards, or other incentives to motorists to attract windshield repair work. That's at 1.30 in the Knott Building. The Senate Education Committee will take up a bill by Senator Travis Hudson of St. Augustine that would allow some charter schools to get money from the state's Job Growth Grant Fund, which is supposed to be used for economic development. That's at 3.30 in the Knott Building. Representatives Margaret Good of Sarasota and Loran Osley of Tallahassee are hosting a screening of the film Surviving Lunch, which deals with issues of school violence and bullying. That's at 530 in Tallahassee's Challenger Learning Center. 
Maggie's List, an organization that works to elect conservative women, will hold an event in Tallahassee that's expected to include Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunez, Attorney General Ashley Moody, and numerous Republican lawmakers. That's also at 530 in Tallahassee. And today is the deadline for state candidates and political committees to file their reports showing campaign finance activity through the end of October. And time once again for the new misadventures of Florida Man. A 51-year-old Florida man is accused of groping a Disney princess during a photo op at the Magic Kingdom. Brian Sherman and his wife posed for pictures with a costumed worker over the weekend, and Orange County deputies say he put his arm around her and grabbed her breast. She was crying when Sherman left the room. The Disney photographer gave the pictures to investigators who used them to track down Sherman. He's now charged with battery. And here's a Florida man two for Tuesday. The Tampa Bay Times reports that a police officer investigating a break-in at a restaurant in St. Petersburg checked the surveillance tapes and found video of a burglar eating chicken wings and drinking beer in the kitchen. Then the officer found another video from the night before showing an entirely different man slipping in the back gate, opening a shed, removing a set of bongo drums. He then breaks into the bathroom, strips off his clothing, and chows down on a bowl of ramen noodles he brought with him while he bongos in the buff. Police say he's homeless and the restaurant owners are not prosecuting because Florida Bongo Man didn't take anything. However, they are still looking for the original burglar. So much for another installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for the latest in Florida politics.